And for all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness, deep down things. Gerard Manley Hopkins from God's Grandeur. Welcome to the Deep Down Things podcast, a partnership of Logos Journal and Friends of St. Thomas Catholic Studies. Join us for a deep dive into Catholic thought, culture, and everything in between as we explore the depths of God's grandeur. Hi, welcome to the Deep Down Things podcast. My name is Dave Devil. I'm an assistant professor of Catholic studies and the editor of Logos, a journal of Catholic thought and culture. I'll be your co-host along with my ever-present companion, Liz <laughs> Kelly, speaker and writer and all-around good, good egg. Uh, why, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so that's, you, know, you have to think about, uh, as we're recording this in the Easter season, you have to think about <laughs> eggs a little bit. Uh, we're really glad to be with you all again. And today we have a, I, you know, I don't want to sound like an 80s television series, but, you know, we have a very special guest, uh, Michael Foley, who's an uh, associate professor of patristics and great texts at Baylor University in Waco, Texas. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Dave. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. We have several things to talk to you about uh, today, uh, but first, why don't we uh, get a little bit of your history? Uh, we were talking in the pre-show. I met you over two decades ago when you were uh, doing some postgraduate work, I believe, at Notre Dame, uh, but tell me a little bit about your history here. That's right. So I am a Catholic theologian by training. I got a PhD in theology from Boston College when it was a little more Catholic than it is right now, mm -hmm. and uh, did three years teaching at Notre Dame and have spent the last 17 years teaching at Baylor University in Waco, Texas. That's right. You're in the, you're in the Great Text program. It's kind of an honors college. Is that right? That is correct. So the Great Text Program is basically the great books of Western and Eastern civilization, and it is its own department. So, mm. you know, you can major or minor, get a degree in Great Texts. We hire and tenure our own faculty. So it, it really is its own department. That's fantastic. Well, as I said, we have a couple of things to talk to you about. One of them, of course, is uh, your contributions to Logos over the years. You've specialized. You've been, I don't want to say you're uh, the movie critic at Logos, <laughs> but you've, you've contributed a couple of pieces on the films of Andrew Nicole and more recently uh, the films of Whit Stillman. We'd like to talk to you a little bit about that. And then later on, we'd like to, to get into one of, your, one of your other areas, maybe not great text, but, <laughs> but great libations. Uh, so we'll talk about first about uh, the movies. Uh, you did your last piece, as I said, on uh, Whit Stillman a few years ago, and you had that that term in there, patriarchy, um, mm -hmm. and it was uh, it was a, a read of Whit Stillman's films. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the films of Whit Stillman, and then a little bit about uh, your take on them in that article? Absolutely. So the big thing I would like to emphasize to everyone who is listening is, if you have not watched the films of Whit Stillman go out and do so immediately. They are just, well, if you're a reader of Logos, you're going to love the films of Whit Stillman. Um, it, this is probably doing him an injustice, but it, he creates films that are, they're like a Woody Allen film, but without the nihilism. Um, that is to say, they are extremely rich in dialogue. 
They have an excellent plot. The characters are well developed, mm -hmm. but it is from the mind of a Christian author. Uh, Whit mm -hmm. Stillman, you know, is a Christian. Uh, he describes himself as a bad Presbyterian, um, <laughs> and um, uh, but he just writes uh, or composes or films marvelous films. Um, Metropolitan, Barcelona, Last Days of Disco, Damsels in Distress uh, are the, the four that I would recommend. And then he also did a Jane Austen adaptation called Love and Friendship. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that last mm -hmm. one was based on uh, her un one of her unfinished manuscripts, was it not? That is correct. Quite good. And the first three are kind of conceived of as a trilogy, Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, so let's go, let's jump into it. You, you talk about them as really about missing fathers. Mm. Um, you talk about them as a Christian filmmaker. Can you say a little bit, uh, what, what films particularly struck you as about missing fathers in, in those, or do all of them deal with, with the missing fathers? All four of those first four films that we mentioned all of them deal with young people struggling with problems. It's usually some kind of coming of age crisis, but all of his characters um, are young adults who are struggling. And what is conspicuously absent from his films is parental guidance, especially that of the father. There actually are mothers that make a few brief cameos, but there is never a father. Yeah. They're discussed, but mm -hmm. they're never present. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it can be argued that um, it is the absence of fatherhood rather than the presence of fatherhood that causes the inciting incidents in these films. And that is different from uh, a feminist narrative, which argues that in a certain way, it is the presence of fatherhood that causes problems, right? That it is male hegemony or, or something like that that causes problems. Mm -hmm. With Stillman, it's the, it's the absence of males that causes problems. So it, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, I spent about a decade teaching uh, woman and man uh, our course. Uh, we call it women and man philosophical issues. And of course, we spend a great deal of time talking about patriarchy just as a term, as a social construct. Um, and what I liked about your article is um, you kind of reclaim it, reframe it uh, such that it's no longer the big bad boogeyman that um, it has become maybe over the last two or three decades. Um, but could you talk a little bit more about uh, patriarchy as you refer to it in the article, especially as it's not something that's so damaging um, uh, to women and children, but actually something uh, protective or beneficial, uh, maybe though in a different way than most people would understand it? Yes, so I know that I'm fighting a losing battle. <laughs> when, oh, well, in so many ways, of course, but sure. um, I, I know I'm fighting a losing battle even on the verbal front when I insist that the word patriarchy should be used as a consistently good thing mm -hmm. because that is the way that it was defined. It is actually a uniquely 
Judeo-Christian word. Yes. And it does not refer, not, not, not refer to all male headship or male supremacy or male hegemony. It refers to a very specific model of male headship, the one that is in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so one of the reasons why we have this confusion today is today the word patriarchy is used synonymously with any kind of male headship, but the Bible is very specific. There's only one kind of male headship that is just, and all the others are unjust. Um, so I, I definitely agree with the feminist critique that there are a lot of bad examples of male headship out there. Um, but I would disagree in concluding that all forms are bad. Um, you are a professor of patristics, right? That root of fa- right, we look at the fathers of the church and, of course, the patriarchs of the Old Testament. Um, how, how do St- Stillman's films, which project this absence, how do they, how do they bring it about that you, you can see the need for such a thing? Uh, is, there, is there a particular technique that he has, or is it just or maybe in the a stories? moment in one of the stories where you can sort of realize that, or that comes forward? You know, sometimes it's explicit, sometimes it's implicit. In the movie Barcelona, uh, two of the main characters have this long conversation about what is the proper way to shave with uh, a razor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and neither of them knows because their fathers didn't teach them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad had fair hair and he used an electric razor, so I never learned from him. So <laughs> their fathers aren't being vilified in any way as being you know, derelict dads. But the idea is there's some things that can only be passed down from father to son. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when the father doesn't do that, there's, there's sort of a crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, I say there's something that's like, that can only be passed on from father to son. But in the movie, a father figure can step in also and help. So near the end of the movie, this little light motif is reconciled by another man coming up to one of the characters and saying, pardon me for saying this, but... Uh, you're not shaving properly. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And and here's what you do. And just as you're about to learn the proper method for shaving, um, Whit Stillman has the scene fade out. Mm -hmm. So the audience will never learn. Uh, This is an oral tradition, I guess, that Whit Stillman (laughs) insists remain oral. And so uh, the audience is not given the information. And, and just to be completely clear, uh, there are obviously things that women can only pass down to their daughters. You know, we're not, I mean, there are certain things that I could only learn from my mother and my father didn't have the capacity to teach me, not because he was an idiot, but because he was male, you know, and, and equally so, uh, uh, women cannot teach their sons how to be men. They can teach them how to be around women. They can teach them all sorts of things, but um, certain uh, certain aspects of that, um, we do have limitations, and I think that's part of the whole conversation about sex that people don't like. They don't want to have yeah. any kind of limitation at all, and yet these limitations are are a blessing and a gift 
when we embrace them uh, properly. As the founding program of the Catholic Studies Movement in Higher Education, St. Thomas Catholic Studies is internationally recognized for its integrated, Christ-centered approach to exploring 2,000 years of Catholic thought and culture. We provide a range of undergraduate and graduate programs, as well as professional development opportunities, all to help you integrate faith into your academic and professional pursuits. Catholic intellectual exploration or career preparation choose both. Visit stthomas.edu. That's stthomas.edu backslash Catholic Studies to learn about our online, on-ground, and hybrid educational options so you can learn and grow wherever you need to be. It's interesting that you bring up the shaving example because um, it it's, it's very uh, apropos to sort of some of the next questions that we were going to ask. Like maybe one of the things that fathers can teach their children uh, is about uh, the pleasures and also the perils of drinking. <laughs> uh, you know, St. Paul advised St. Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. And, but Proverbs was very harsh about, uh, you know, wine, strong drink as a brawler, that kind of thing. Um, in your book, Drinking with the Saints, um, as we sort of move into that portion of our conversation, um, is there a particular Catholic philosophy around alcohol consumption? Is that something that a father should be teaching his son is the proper way to drink? <laughs> I believe so, absolutely. Because, and this actually goes back to the way Stillman films as well, if the father doesn't teach the son, who will? Mm -hmm. And the answer is the son's peers. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that is the blind leading the blind. <laughs> right. So there should be a sort of sort of verticality. Um, I, um, I did my undergraduate work at Santa Clara University, which is a Jesuit school in Northern California. And I was told like, I'm not that old. I, I was there from 88 to 92, but I was told that a generation earlier in the days when Santa Clara was an all boys school and in the days when the drinking age in California was 18, that every Tuesday night, the Jesuits had a happy hour with the students. And I remember telling this to an an evangelical friend, and he was horrified <laughs> yeah. that, you know, these, these corruptive Jesuits were doing this. But I said, no, 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 this is a good thing. Do you really think you show up as a freshman or a sophomore and you walk into this bar filled with uh, Je older Jesuits? Do you really think you're going to get drunk in front of them? Mm -hmm. like, yeah. No, those Jesuits were performing a service they were teaching those young men how to drink. Mm -hmm. They were teaching them how to hold their liquor, how to pair it with moderation and good conversation. Mm -hmm. They were no doubt modeling mm -hmm. uh, moderation and conversation themselves. Uh, that is a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, one of the dangers of our own society is that we don't have intergenerational drinking anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? Uh, and and therefore, we're not learning from the experience of our elders. Mm -hmm. Well, and not even just moderation and good conversation, but just the 
it's almost an instruction for your palate, your book, <laughs> in just thinking about what things go with what, and uh, it's it's a whole other way of thinking about food and consumption in general. It really raises it to a, 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 a level of, of one of culture and not just consuming. I, keep I think that's very true. I keep thinking of, you know, scenes from Whit Stillman films, you know, you say there's there's this presence and, and Metropolitan, the first one where a group of young people at sort of the age of the debutante ball, you know, are gathering together for these parties. And there's always, you know, one character in particular who's, you know, laid out over the sofa. And it's, you know, I think he's pretty clearly always having a little too much to drink. Um, and he's not enjoying, you know, what's actually pleasant about uh, about being together with people, which involves both food and drink and conversation and getting together, which are some of the pleasures that we see in those movies. Uh, do, do, you, do your Drinking with the Saints books offer any cultural instruction about, about how, to, how, to, how to party, if, if, if we can put it <laughs> that way? How to play. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, they, the, the point of all my books is not so much to encourage the consumption of alcohol as it is to encourage a Christian sense of festivity. Yes. Um, and so in one of the books, I actually do give five lessons for how to drink like a saint. Yeah. And uh, I'll just briefly say it's with moderation, gratitude, memory, merriment, and ritual. That's great. You can drink with those five things. Uh, you will, you will, you will engage in healthy drinking. Mm -hmm. I think of Chesterton's Heretics, where he talks about, you know, the, the problem is the man who drinks to forget rather than the one who drinks to remember. Mm. And you probably quote that in there, do you not? I, I do indeed. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is also from Chesterton about gratitude and moderation. We should thank God for beer and burgundy by not drinking too much of them. <laughs> yeah, that's great. What's the uh, what's the new volume of the drinking with the saints? What's the what's the new particular volume coming out? Okay, so last year I came out with drinking with your patron saints. That's right. And um, this, so scheduled for March 2023 is a slightly different direction. Dining with the saints. I am teaming up with Father Leo Petalinghug, uh, who has a master, wonderful master chef, has a show on EWTN. Yeah. And we are going to provide uh, recipes, both traditional and new, for the various feast days of the church year. That's fantastic. Uh, so do you, have, do you have any food recipes, too, or is, are you leaving that to Father Leo? <laughs> I right now the way we got it going is I'm digging up all the saints stories yeah. and and he's he's doing the the recipes. One of the things that I'm trying to do that's different from other Catholic cookbooks is get information on what the saint in question actually ate. <laughs> yeah. Which which isn't isn't always possible but you know we but if sometimes we do know about their dietary habits that's right, and right. it'd be kind of cool to pair that with a meal. That's mm -hmm. right. Not not any of the saints who existed solely on the Eucharist for 30 years, I suppose. <laughs> that page yeah, is blank. I, I don't know what we're going to recommend for Catherine of Siena. Right. You know, <laughs> Padre Pio's chapter. We know it's going to be a light meal, page. but... <laughs> yeah. That's funny. 
Uh, can you give a, Can you give an example of uh, you know of a food that's connected to uh, particularly a fe- you know in the Easter season? Of course, people have various things, the crosses on the buns and things like that. But can you give a, a, a good example of one that might not be known to people? Uh, you know, of a drink or or a food that's connected to a feast. Well, you are right that what I've discovered so far is that the seasons have a lot more recipes than particular saints days, right? Mm -hmm. So Lent has actually special foods. The pretzel was a Lenten invention. Hmm. Um, Lots of Easter foods like and Good Friday, hot cross buns, eggs and cheese. Christmas, of course, has special foods. Um, It does get a little... The, the pickings get a little slimmer with individual feast days of saints. Mm-hmm. Um, one example, though, is St. Mary Magdalene. Hmm. Uh, in France, on her feast day, they made a delicious pastry called a madeleine hmm. yeah. um, in the shape of a, a scalloped seashell. There, were, there is also a special pastry for the feast of St. Catherine of Alexandria, who is the uh, the patron saint of spinsters? Um, so <laughs> there, you would give you would give cutarines, which are these little pastries to unmarried women who are older than twenty six. <laughs> oh, hilarious! Oh my gosh! Um, although the 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 one that tops them all is the feast of Saint Agatha, who was the famous Roman virgin martyr whose breasts were severed. Mm. by her Roman tormentors. Uh, there is a pastry in Austria that, that literally means the nipples of St. Agatha. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're like kind of round cupcakes with red cherries on top. Mm-hmm. And, and don't they have a liqueur inside too? I mean, yeah. I, I think that's right, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned Stillman as, as a Protestant, but if, if I recall correctly, his uncle was Chauncey Stillman, who uh, endowed the Harvard uh, chair in Catholic studies that Christopher Dawson took. Uh, does, does Stillman, I know you've met uh, Stillman before, uh, does he have any interest in Catholicism? I know in some of the uh, you know extras for one of his movies, him talking about his interest in Hungarian Calvinist authors, something like that. But is there is there any interest in Catholic culture and thought on Stillman's part? I think there is. Um, he he joked lightly about it um, when when the two of us were together. Um, he did speak with great admiration of his uncle, uh, his uncle. Chauncey, who I believe was a convert yeah. um, to Catholicism. Uh, st- on the other hand, Stillman's godfather was the man who invented the term wasp. Mm. Uh, he was a sociologist from the 50s. I can't remember his name uh, off the D- top Dig- of my head. Digby Balzell? Is, is, Dig- is it Digby Balzell or something like that? Yes. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty fascinating. His, of course, Stillman's yeah. Stillman's version of this in uh, one of the movies was uh, "Ub Urban Haute Bourgeoisie" <laughs> or something like that, <laughs> <laughs> making fun of that. Right. Yeah. You'll be happy to know that after working on your article, my husband and I did go out and we got all of the movies and we watched them in sequence. Uh, so, uh, you did get at least two converts out of, out of your efforts there. 
Well, well that's excellent. Well, so let, let, let's ask here, as we, as we come to a close here, what, what kind of projects? You're obviously working on the cookbook. Uh, what, what else are you working on these days? I know you've done some work on translation of Augustine, and you've done other things on Catholic culture. What are, what are the big projects that you have, and where can our listeners find out more about your work? Well, I have two projects I would like to mention. One is the next book that is coming out is a book on Christmas traditions, explaining their origin and their use. So that is called Why We Kiss Under the Mistletoe, mm. and that will come out this August. Mm. Uh, and the second thing for anyone who's interested, I mentioned Dining with the Saints. My wife, Alexandra, and I are actually teaming up with Father Leo, and we are going on a pilgrimage cruise in the summer of 2023 through the Douro region of Portugal and Spain, oh, how beautiful. which means we'll be visiting the shrine of Our Lady of Fatima, and it will crescendo at Santiago de Compostela. Hmm. So uh, all are welcome to join us. Hmm. Beautiful. That's fantastic. We will, uh, we will put this information in the show notes for everybody with uh, links to, to Mike's books uh, and hopefully to the, uh, to the pilgrimage as well. So if you want to travel with, with Dr. Foley, we'll be able to do that. Uh, where, do, you have a, do you have a website for yourself or a Twitter feed or, or ways to contact you? I do. I, I have all that. There's a Facebook page for Drinking with the Saints. There is also drinkingwiththesaints.com, where you'll see information about my books and the upcoming cruise. Uh, so, yeah, those are two, two easy channels right there. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for taking time with us to talk about Whit Stillman and Drinking with the Saints. Uh, this has been a delight to have you with us, Mike. Uh, and I'll be looking forward to seeing you in the future. Liz, thank you very much. Delightful to be here. And we thank you too, the listener, for joining us with another great episode of Deep Down Thanks. Please go to our uh, site, patreon.com backslash deep down things. That's all one word, no spaces. And become a patron to support more conversations like this. We thank you all and God bless.